This episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Loot Crate. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a monthly subscription box for you. Exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered right to your door. You can pick your crate and subscribe to just one or as many as you'd like, and you can cancel any time. Loot Crate partners with great brands to deliver an epic experience every month. There's lots of great crates like Loot Crate, the original, the monthly mystery geek and gamer gear. Loot Anime, monthly mystery anime and manga gear. Loot Pets... That's for dogs, loot wear, that's for clothes, loot gaming, that's for gamers, Fallout, that's for Fallout. Save 10% by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash loot crate and using the code SAVE10 at checkout. That's boardwalkaudio.com slash loot crate and use the code SAVE10 at checkout. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson, and we've got a great episode. But first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardlockaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Support Our Artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Chris Kula, who you know from Matt TV, Funnier Die, Community at Midnight, and now airing on TBS, Wrecked. He's a great writer with really interesting insight about working on different network sitcoms and now working on Wrecked, and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Uh, Nick Weiger also wrote At Midnight, and I've got a bunch of other people coming out who've also written on At Midnight, but uh, I'll let you guys know when that comes out. So here is Chris Kula. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Uh, Where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in Michigan. Uh, Okay. Born and raised, uh, colleged uh, in Michigan, went to the University of Michigan. Oh, cool. And then uh, uh, after school, I went to New York. Okay, cool. Uh, when did you first get like interested in comedy? Uh, probably, you know, a lot of people, when they get to like high school, their uh, formative, you know, influences or stuff they're watching. So I think for me, it was like Simpsons. Conan uh, had just gotten on like late night. So that was a big show that... You know, I was watching every night, um, and I think right about, like, yeah, into high school, it's like, oh, I guess there's people that do these things for a living that write these shows. Oh, I think that's what I could do, because I've never considered myself a performer, never had any kind of uh, aspirations to, you know, be on stage, but I was like, oh, I could be a guy behind them. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you do any, like, performing or writing in uh, high school? No, no. No? No, I mean, the <laughs> no, school plays and stuff seemed way out of my league. Yeah. I mean, it just like, I, even in when I got to, you know, New York after college, it was with the intention of like doing uh, UCB classes, doing, you know, improv. And I realized like, got so many people on uh, late night writing staffs, you know, on SNL or Conan or whatever, seemed to have some sort of improv background with Second City or you know, UCB was becoming more of a thing. It's like, fuck, I'm going to have to do improv. I think <laughs> I'm going to have to perform. And like, I was terrified of performing, uh, all through my like level one class. I had dry mouth and never wanted to, I, you know, skip my turn getting up. Like, wow. It really took a long time to like get, you know, acclimated and, and find the confidence. Wow. That's crazy. So you, you knew in high school, uh, that you eventually wanted to end up in New York. Uh, 
No, I mean, I, I, uh, in high school, I was solely focused on going to the University of Michigan. I mean, it's yeah. such a you know state school, big sports thing. Like that had been where I wanted oh, yeah. to go to college uh, since you know four years old, looking at the winged helmet of uh, Michigan. So oh wow! My college uh, search wasn't too. It was like, yeah, that place. If I can get in, that's great. Let's do it. Um, but when I got there, uh, I knew that writing was what I was going to do. Um, I think that was made pretty clear to me on my. Uh, uh, ACT test, you know, like that's the um, uh, like SAT equivalent in certain states, and like, and my scores uh, of like writing and verbal were all like really high. My scores of math real low, and I was like, okay, I see what uh, I see what my strengths are, and I see what my <laughs> weaknesses very clearly are. So uh, once I got to school, I proactively avoided any kind of math science classes. Uh, and did all of the, you know, writing English. I ended up majoring in English, um, but got involved with the school newspaper, and that was where I spent most of my time. Was uh, oh, you can do writing, and eventually I sort of did a humor column, and that was where my sort of uh, focus was in college. Oh, cool. Uh, do, do you think like, uh, well, do you think doing like an English major rather than say like a film or like a playwriting major do you think that's like uh helpful or, or different or what uh i mean god now if i it, looking back on what you actually gain from those classes yeah mm-hmm. i probably would have benefited more from a you know if there i don't think there was much of a program in michigan at the time that was like really heavily tv focused mm-hmm. um like you can get you know i just drove past the emerson campus on my way over here yeah that's a crazy building right there it, i mean it really is like <laughs> oh if you want to be in hollywood like this is right there yeah, yeah, yeah. so that you know schools like that really have sort of a you know a program and an emphasis on that uh it still comes down to what you do and what you make of it you know um I didn't, I'm not applying anything I learned uh, studying, you know, Wuthering Heights or the classics <laughs> to uh, what I'm writing now. But it was like, oh, this is the easiest path for me to, like, I can, you know, fudge a, a five-page paper without too much work while I'm, you know, writing columns for the newspaper and, you know, doing stuff that <laughs> I actually might apply one day. Right. So at the newspaper, did you start out doing uh, more like uh, like breaking news stuff, or was it always like a column and always a like humor stuff? I was on the art staff initially, okay. so I was doing uh, record reviews, and uh, I was I was big into jam bands in college. That was okay, like my, nice. my beat. So anytime a jam band came through uh, Ann Arbor, that was like get free tickets for the show, right up the you know do the interview with the band. It was a great you know little scam I was running, like get to go <laughs> free shows and get all the uh, CDs, and then. I uh, eventually parlayed that. I became like an arts editor and then got my own column on the uh, like op-ed page. And a lot of people who had those columns really took it upon themselves to write like high-minded, you know, uh, here's how we can achieve peace in the Middle East sort of things from a, you know, undergraduate columnist right. perspective, really, you know, hard-hitting stuff. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to put some uh, Karate Kid references in the thing <laughs> and call it a day. So, yeah, it was a very... Very uh, collegiate humor right. stab. Were, were you uh, writing columns each every week or like every day? Or I had a weekly yeah, yeah. column ran on Thursday, and that was like the focus of my week was like, all right, what's the mm-hmm. idea going to be? And then start you know writing things down and, and sort of crafting it over the week. And it's still like one of the things I was I'm probably most proud of just because it was like all me. It was what I. Um, you know, was most proud of at the time and what I put most of my work and focus into. Mm-hmm. And now if I look back at it, I'm pretty mortified by the stuff that, you know, that I was so proud of the day. It's like, Oh God, <laughs> it does not age well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Did, did you say like that discipline of having a column each week? Like, like you still kind of that instill the discipline that you need to be like a writer. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing like a deadline, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it, knowing that it's going to be published on Thursday morning, and you've got to have it in is. Mm-hmm. Uh, great motivator and uh we don't often have that now if you're not you know if you're trying to write a spec on your own it really is self-imposed deadlines and right unless you have you know uh, an agent or somebody who's like you know good about keeping on task and most people just ignore them too so mm-hmm. so uh after college you go to new york and you you already knew you went to new york because of ucb mm-hmm. yeah the theater there had opened up uh in like 99 mm-hmm. and i graduated in 2001 so it sort of established itself as a place and uh, Amy Poehler had gotten on SNL in 2000, so it was like, oh wow, the, this place is you know where people are yeah. doing it now. And I went uh, to spring break in New York my uh, senior year and saw an ASCAT show. I was like, oh, I can do this. Like I, oh wow, I got a sense like that's oh. funny. People usually have the opposite reaction when they see <laughs> when they see like ASCAT or something oh, the I first mean, time. <laughs> I could get up there and blow Adam McKay away. No, not a. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that sounds really. I could, I could do this. <laughs> it was more like the way that they're working together and the way that they're, you know, collaborating on these ideas and making things grow organically. I'd seen some Second City shows in Detroit. They had a theater there. Oh yeah. And uh, it didn't really speak to me. It was like, oh, these they're great performers. Uh, mm-hmm. I think actually Keegan Michael Key was in the cast at the time when I saw. So it's like phenomenally charismatic right. performers. But it's like, oh, I, I can't do that. I can't, you know blow people away with a character but then seeing uh people in ascat just take you know used to be principles of like oh that's the unusual thing and then we're all going to heighten it it was like oh this is what i do with my friends mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people have had that sort of uh same experience of seeing and being like oh this feels achievable like mm-hmm. if i if i you know just given the freedom to find the funny thing and follow it like i think i could do this so when I moved to New York, it was with the intention of finding a day job and then getting into UCB classes and kind of treating it like grad school. So did you uh, discover UCB first at the sketch show or just like the theater you'd heard stuff like Amy Poehler or, or what? I was aware of the sketch. I didn't watch it too much when it was on Comedy Central. Um, I knew the name. And then I guess sort of like in researching where, you know, one would go to get that sort of thing. It was like, oh, this is the place in New York. Um, and they'd had a few people had already, you know, sort of moved on to big gigs and it kind of looked mm-hmm. like, oh, if you put your time in there, this is, you know, where people are getting career opportunities, be it at The Daily Show or mm-hmm. SNL, you know, all those sort of marquee New York jobs. Right. So you got there uh, two years into the theater. So what was that? What was it like back then? Um, I mean, it's... It, we talk about it all the time. It's like so much different now. It's such a massive institution now. It really felt more just like a clubhouse. It felt very punk rock uh, to me. I mean, literally, Besser was you know blasting Fugazi yeah. like <laughs> as house music, um, and it was just like so exciting to go in this little black box, and you know, it's people like <laughs> Brett Gelman doing you know uh, Thousand Cats or you know some of the crazier shit that now it just doesn't you know show up on the stages um everything's a little more refined and a little more you know i guess i can't say that totally there are still some pretty fucked up shows that happen at midnight (laughs) at the theaters here but that was like essentially every show happening uh was just like i don't know fuck it let's put it up and try it and i don't think people were really concerned about 
you know, this is going to be the thing that gets me that great job, or this is going to get me an audition wherever. It was just like, that's a crazy fucked up idea. Let's do it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was very exciting and ended up, you know, meeting people sort of like mind, uh, through classes, forming practice groups. And then we started performing on our own at, you know, indie shows. And then, uh, was lucky enough to get on a Herald team at UCB in like 2002 and still some of my closest friends today. Uh, who, who were the teachers that you had? I had Sean Conroy for uh, level one and two. Um, so he's like, he said, uh, if <laughs> I took him for level one and then I saw he was going to be teaching level two. So I was like, I'll take your class for things as well. If uh, you don't pan out, it's going to be all, all on me. <laughs> um, so I had, uh, Kevin Mullaney, Billy Merritt, um, uh, Ali Faranakian, uh, for a class before he, uh, <laughs> left and founded the pit in mm-hmm. the middle of that class. And then we had Ian Roberts teach the rest of the class. Wow. He did it in the middle of the class. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like wow. probably an eight week class and about week five, uh, he was just no longer there. And Ian came in was, didn't address it. Just like, all right, let's get uh, two people up. And, uh, yeah. oh, okay. Wow. That's pretty, uh. Cause that's like a controversial thing, right? Yeah, yeah. He, you know, had come up with all those guys, and he was billed as the star of Ascat, and he was like the last one introduced. Really? Did Ascat every week, and he was great. He was so funny, and he's just an interesting character. And then he decided to open up his own theater without mm-hmm. telling any of his good friends who oh, were wow. running UCB. So yeah, there was some real animosity there for a while. Probably still is. I don't know. That's pretty nuts. Uh, so there wasn't uh, any sketch classes, right? Oh, no, I did. Okay. Um, actually, I took an Ali sketch class. Okay. Uh, he had written for SNL for uh, a little while in the uh, early 2000s, so he sort of you know used that as a, a billing uh, for his sketch classes. Uh, you know, learn how to put an SNL packet together, and I tried to do that. And of course, I was you know totally not prepared for <laughs> being a professional writer at that point. So yeah, I'm sure if I found that packet, it would be oof real bad <laughs> um so yeah i took that was in you know level two in improv i took a sketch class but you know part of uh what was so great about used to be at the time is you could get sketch shows fairly easily and uh my first herald team police chief rumble uh in addition to doing heralds we also worked on sketch stuff together so we eventually put up our own show and here's a great example of how the theater is different we were given a sort of open-ended Friday night run to workshop new sketches every week. Wow. Yeah, I mean, now the real estate on the stage is just so prime, like you just don't get those opportunities. We had Fridays at midnight for, I mean, five, six months where it's just like, oh, bring in a new new set and we'll work these out. And it was like half sketch and then we'd do an improv set to like get more ideas. Um, Wow. So we'd do Herald Night on, you know, Tuesdays and then have a sketch rehearsal Wednesday sketch meeting on Thursday and then do our Friday night show. So we were really like in it to win it. Um, which, you know, early twenties, that's all you want to do. Yeah. And that was just your team. Yeah. Yeah. We were kind of, I mean, but you could do, you know, uh, you could get your own spank show up really easily. Mm -hmm. You know, now there's like sort of a, you know, long waiting period and you've got to really show that you've got a script and a show ready to go. Back in the day, it was like, you just request a spank and then so many people would end up, uh, deliberating on it until like the last minute and procrastinating and then finally like uh, I'll just throw something together um, they eventually <laughs> you know put some safeguards in place to make sure people actually had a show before they were given a slot to perform it right uh, but yeah there was just it kind of goes to that you know thing of how the theater is so different like back in the day you could just put up a sketch show really easily so, so when you're doing that uh, show every week were you uh, were you finding like each week you were getting like better ideas or better sketches or refining better stuff? 
Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's famously one sketch that Katie Dippel wrote called Butter Gun that was basically perfect from its first draft. Real simple premise about a telemarketer who uh, calls up offering a great deal on the this butter gun that, you know, shoots melted butter and just keeps harassing the person uh, who receives the call. And for whatever reason, we ended up trying, we're like, oh, well, we should, you know, yeah, that worked great, but let's try it this way or let's try, maybe it's a couple having the uh, the director working with us at the time sort of, I was like, we should, you know, find another element to it. So like maybe the uh, call comes in while the couple is having a, you know, like a bitter fight and then it's this, you know, telemarketer interrupting them and tried this very, like basically at some point, like every single person in the group had been the person receiving the call with some different variation on what was happening, what, you know, how it was being heightened. And then if, when we finally put our finished show up at 8 o'clock on Friday, it was like the first draft that we used. Yeah. So it was good having a lot of time to try out stuff. And then also, you know, maybe a little bit to our detriment because it was like, let's keep tinkering. Let's mm-hmm. keep trying things. At, at the end of that run, did you like then just like perform a show, just like a polished show? Yeah, that was the goal. It was like, you know, over mm-hmm. time you should, you know, be, oh, that one's a winner. That's going in. This mm-hmm. is a winner. We kind of did it. Um, similar to how they put up Second City main stage shows, as far as I understand it, you know, that they'd have improv sets that sort of led to sketch uh, ideas and they'd workshop those sketches mm-hmm. until it was like, oh, that one's solid. That'll go in the review. Um, and we followed that model as best we could and ended up putting together like close to an hour long sketch show um, that, yeah, was it was called uh, A Piece of Bullshit Pie, was the name of that show. That sounds very, like, review-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, that is the model we followed. That's cool. Uh, well, whereas, well, I think a lot of Second City shows actually have, like, a satirical uh, right. angle to them. Like, ours is, no, no, just a piece <laughs> of bullshit pie. I think it's something, a line that was said in the show. Uh, so while you were doing improv and uh, sketch there, were you uh, thinking of, like, oh, what's the next step for my career? Or was oh, it just... Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, we all had day jobs. We all were either temps or, you know, working some desk jobs somewhere and then doing, you know, improv and sketch at night. And all you wanted to do is like leave your day job, get some opportunity that paid and allowed you to just do comedy. And I still like, uh, anytime I get like stressed or, you know, I'm bitching about, uh, working in comedy now, like I tell my wife, like, just please remind me like that. I was, you know, a receptionist at an engineering firm and, all I wanted to do was this, so I can't be bitching about it. It's not allowed. Right. Were, were you uh, getting, like, were you doing acting jobs or writing jobs to, like, supplement stuff? Or, like, just because you were getting opportunities during that time? I mean, it was, uh, one thing we always wanted to know is, like, how do you get an agent? That was, like, you know, first it's, how do you, man, how do you get on a Herald team? And then it's, how do you, how do you get onto a weekend team? And then, you know, your sort of aspirations keep, you know, growing with each step. And then it's like, oh, how do you get an agent for writing? And then, like, you know, one of your friends does. And then it's sort of, you know, it's just a matter, like, I always tell, uh, like, students who are starting out who want to know those same things. It's like, all you can do is just do the work and try not to be a dick because it's the people you work with are the ones who are going to recommend you and refer you. Um, the first job I got that allowed me to quit my day job and, like, write comedy was at this uh, website called officepirates.com. Yeah. That was, uh, it was run by the uh, Time, Inc., which is really funny going to, like, work in the same offices as, like, Time Magazine and Sports Illustrated, but they were running, like, they wanted to start a, like, 
humor time waster site for guy, you know guys stuck at the office. Mm-hmm. So you click over to Office Pirates. This is like 2006, I guess. Click over to OfficePirates.com for you know funny photo galleries or captions. It's just like, I mean, essentially all of what the internet is now. But it was sort of like uh, mainstream publishing's attempt at that. Right. And so it was like me and three other guys who all come from like magazines, sort of publishing backgrounds. And I was like the you know ooh the edgy uh, alternative <laughs> comic type. Um, but that allowed me to quit the receptionist job I was working at. And like I got a salary and, you know, still got to perform at UCB. Like this was the dream. This was mm-hmm. all I wanted to do. Um, all I'd ever wanted to do at my office jobs was get laid off because that came with like a severance and right. unemployment. You know, I was like, oh, God, to get laid off from this engineering job, I could just take unemployment and then just do my thing. That's all. It never happened for me until I got the writing job. And then that lasted nine months. The site folded. I got laid off. And it was like, <laughs> oh, I got what I want. <laughs> Twilight Zone uh, version, you know. And, and were you were, were you teaching at this point at mm-hmm. all? Yeah, I had. Um, that's right about when I started teaching. Mm-hmm. I started teaching sketch uh, at UCB, and then I started teaching a lot more once the site folded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, basically, once that once that happened, I wanted desperately to avoid going back to like a day job type of thing. So I taught and coached and hustled for as many sort of odd job writing opportunities. And at that point I was getting enough like weird internet stuff that I could sort of cobble, you know, uh, uh, enough to buy some, you know, wings and the bar and some (laughs) Chinese takeout. Um, and that's right about when I got, uh, hired at the onion news network. They had just launched like their video stuff and there was a lot of used to be people in there. And as, as the case from almost any job I've had, it was referred by somebody from UCB who was in there. So, Oh, wow. Um, whenever people ask again, like, where do I, you know, how do I start writing, go to UCB, take classes. That's all I can attest to. Cause that's, <laughs> that's how I have gotten into it. So, so when you were doing onion news network, uh, had you done much satirical stuff like in your own writing? Yeah. I, I run my own website like that. I just treated as my, you know, uh, sort of calling card site where it was just my own web content. And yeah, a lot of it was satirical and, you know, uh, yeah, just different aims of, of funny, whatever. I think my voice is naturally a little bit satiric, so Onion was a good uh, fit, but it, it still wasn't preferred just how razor sharp their premises are required to be. And, you know, they've been doing it for so long, they know exactly, like, well, that's a funny idea, but what's the target? Right. And you be like, yeah, you're true, you know, and then stuff like it's like, it's it's satirical, but it's not like onion satirical. It doesn't quite, you know, yeah, it kind of zings, but it needs to like really drive the knife in and turn it. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have like the really good sort of headline. Um, so their uh, their mo was always quantity. They would do uh, assignments where every week we had to bring in twenty five different you know headline ideas for videos, and it was just like uh, you know a winnowing process to get down to the you know four or five that were really exceptional from the whole group and. And you would be frustrating because you're like, oh, well, this one was funny. But, like, then when you you can't argue with the results, they'd get to the ones that were truly the best. And you go, oh, well, I guess it takes 400 headlines to get down to the 10 that are really good, you know? So was uh, The Onion was in New York at that time, right? Like yeah. The whole, the whole operation. Yep. Uh, so did you – you were being led by someone uh, – was like an, like an old Onion guy, like someone who had been at The Onion for a while? Yeah. The, when they started the video, they put uh, – Carol Kolb was an Onion writer who was the head writer for the video. And then uh, Will Graham was the name of the showrunner who was mm-hmm. leading the uh, video. So they were great. And they were like, you know, really – 
keepers of the onion voice, you know, they mm-hmm. were really the ones who ensured that it was that sort of level of satire. And, uh, we had a writer's group that met once a week with about, you know, 10 or so people. And then you'd be assigned like a script, um, to w- work on during the week. And we do reads of those and then, you know, brainstorm ideas for like, you know, other type of features. We came up with like, Oh, they should have a morning show component to it. And then we start writing stuff, you know, in that tone where it's still you know, satirical, but in the fun, cheery trappings of a today show right. type of thing. Do you have any uh, favorite videos from that time? Yeah, one of my favorites was was actually for that um, today. Now is the name of the uh, the morning show, and it was uh, Make a Wish Child uh, Bank. It was like Make a Wish Now Bankrupted by Child's Wish for Unlimited Wishes. Uh, but it was I treated. Think I, I think I remember that one. Really? Yeah, that's I, a funny one. It, it ended up getting like on Snopes because it kind of it was one of those onion stories that got passed around as real mm-hmm. of like an outrage of like. Can you believe this? Like you know, uh, this, this abuse of power that this good, you know, intention corporation is being bankrupted by, and the kid was asking for like you know, an F fourteen Tomcat and a personal appearance by David Ortiz at his bedside, and it was all couched in like you know, we will grant this child's wishes until the day he dies, which hopefully we you know soon. <laughs> uh... So was Onion News Network a thing uh, before you got there? Or was it like right when it started? Right when it started, it hadn't launched yet. So we were sort of like you know figuring out what it was, and then it launched uh-huh. in I guess late two thousand six, early two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that f- until I moved to L A. Uh, in fall of two thousand seven. Right, and you moved to L A. because of uh, Mad TV, right? Yep. Uh, how, how did that come about? Uh, and this is going to be a recurring theme. Somebody mm-hmm. I worked with at UCB, Katie Dippold, got mm-hmm. hired there. Uh, 2006 and uh, she'd done one season on there and was you know uh, said I can submit your packet because I didn't have an agent manager or anything so that's how you're able to get into some of these shows is you know via someone who's on the inside so I worked my packet that was um, original stuff and she gave me great feedback on it along the way you know or I'd like shoot premises by her and she'd be like no not that one this one and and, you know it was pretty invaluable having that voice that like knows what flies you know Mm -hmm. so um, packet got along far and then I did like a phone interview where I did like you know pitch some more ideas but the problem was I was here in New York and they were meeting with people in LA and there's just no way to really you know um, simulate that you know face to face because at some point they just want to make sure you're not a psychopath right. that you're just cool and you know a person they wouldn't mind being in a room with so I knew I was in the running and then she was like I mean would you ever like come out to LA and I was like just on a whim and she's like yeah it might really help and it's like uh I can't not take that chance you know because this could be the the big break I need so I did like book last minute tickets to be and then like played it off to the producers like hey I'm gonna be in LA um this week if you wanted to you know have a coffee or oh yeah you should come by so I had another meeting with them in person I guess that's what sort of clinched it for me so I ended up getting getting the job and moving out in uh September of 2007 uh, sure. <coughs> yeah, you went down the wrong hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what was that packet like? Was it similar to like an SNL packet, or was it uh, something different? Uh, if I can remember, it was like it wasn't long. It was maybe five sketches. Um, three, maybe like one was a you know produced like video type of thing. Uh, one was a political. It was in. It was in the run-up to the 2008, uh, like, primary. So I remember one of them dealt with, like, sort of the 
Democratic candidates who were, you know, vying for it at the time. Um, uh, one was like a sketch that I used in UCB stages. It was like a, just a big character sketch uh, about uh, it was about a morning zoo DJ who'd been fired from his job and was now working the host station at an Olive Garden. <laughs> okay. So just, you know, on the mic, like, we got mm-hmm. a table for two coming up over here. And like <laughs> that bullshit with like, sound effects and. I would go on to write many a morning zoo uh, radio <laughs> sketch in v- various shows and forums. It's kind of one of my sweet spots. It's oh, one yeah. of my guilty pleasures, yeah. Uh, so w- what was like a typical day like at Mad TV? Um, come in around 10 and uh, use, you know, we'd have meetings, pitch meetings as a group where you'd sort of you know, pitch out your idea for that week's show. Um, either an idea you've had or an idea an actor sort of brought up to you. And then we'd have a lot of time during the day to just work on our stuff. And it doesn't have that same, like, crazy around-the-clock schedule that SNL has since it's pre-taped, you know. And we've got uh, – it was more, you know, okay, well, you write up until the deadline for the, the that week's table read on, you know, Wednesday, and then we'll have the read on Thursday. And it was a little more uh, sedate. Um, and then when the show was being, you know, shot, you'd, we'd have the, the show night where, you know, we'd go to the stage and – watch the sketches performed and have some catering. It was, it was great. I mean, I love the people I worked with are like still good old friends. And, uh, it's like certain jobs have like a really, some guys jobs just come and go and you never talk to those people or think about it again. And like certain ones, for whatever reason, like just have a really good nostalgia element and just, you know, long-term sort of camaraderie. And that's one of them. It's like, I love those dudes. And it's like Katie and Colton Dunn and, uh, Brian Bradley and Stephen Craig, who are like super successful uh, writer producers now, uh, Ryan Smith, Guy Stevenson, like some just really good dudes, and they were all. Uh, most of them had started in uh, the year before me. Uh, it was like relatively oh, okay. new people, so we all sort of came in together, and then people who had been around for a while, like Jim Wise, were really just good, you know, solid people. So yeah, I'm really lucky. It was a, it was a great first job in TV. Uh, did you, do, did you find that sketches were different? Like you had to write different sketches for that than you would at UCB. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it had its own sort of DNA that you had to service, and um, there's certain you know, as with any sort of bigger property, there's things you wouldn't do by choice, but you know, right. it's like you've got to you know satisfy these producer needs, or you know, this is what plays on this network or this show. So yeah, it's a matter of. Knowing, like, this is the job, and so I got to do. When you were there, did you find that you were actively writing for, like, certain actors? Or were you like, certain characters that you would uh, want to, like, have on the show repeat? Not us so much. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the actors are pretty, like, provincial about their characters and, like, really wanted it. Oh, interesting. You know, they, were, they didn't want you writing for their long-established things. They kind of, like, you were, mm-hmm. you know, I got it. Um, so... I, Especially in, because we had all sort of come from you know UCB or improv background, most of us were writing premise first as opposed to, oh, here's a crazy Groundlings type of character. So mm-hmm. we were just writing sketches that could be for any of the cast. Interesting, because you would think, I don't know, I, I would think at least that uh, you try to like you'd like pick an actor that you had a good rapport with, and then just try to write stuff for them. I did that occasionally. Yeah. Um, we'd have, you know, the actors would come by with an idea of a character they wanted to do or, mm-hmm. you know, some bit from their stand-up that they wanted to. Matt Bronger was a new cast member at the time, and he okay. was great about that. So we worked up uh, a thing where he was like, you know, the fourth Jonas brother. Uh, okay. 
and just like you know simple things like oh yeah that's a funny idea let's write that together and then it does help when you know the actors presenting it themselves at the table read and you can get a sense of like oh here's how it's definitely going to feel like and you wrote on that show for two seasons, right? Yeah, yeah, the last two. <laughs> the last two, yeah. Did you know? Did you like? When did you know it was going to get like not renewed? Well, when Dippled got hired, it was like this is probably going to be the last season, but she'll get in, and that'll be a great job. And then when she was coming back for another one, she told me like it's probably going to be you know the last season, but maybe you can get out. Oh, so right. it had been having that for like five years, I think. Oh um, wow! But then there was like one day that last season I was there, it was like we all were called into the. Uh, conference room in the middle of the day on like a Wednesday. I was like, oh, this isn't normal. Okay, I think I know where this is going. And then the uh, EP like broke the news that this was it. So you just moved to LA for this job. So like what were you what were you thinking like after that that show ended? Like what were you thinking for your next job? Uh honestly at the time I thought SNL, here I come. Yeah. Like I, I just thought like, oh this is it makes perfect sense uh you know i've got a couple years of sketch experience and i've got an agent and manager now and uh bobby moynihan who was on police chief rumble with us had uh, gotten hired there and was on the show now so i think even like his manager had reached out like you know they're taking submissions be great if you know bobby had a friend i was like oh i mean this is i felt like it was a done deal and of course i didn't get it like <laughs> it was just you know it's always the things that you think make total sense that never lay out and then it's the most unexpected things that come your way mm. so that was my own hubris you know kind of biting me in the ass of like oh yeah baby <laughs> i'll go back to new york but then i'll come back to la in the summer yeah to be like of course mm-hmm. it didn't work out like i wanted did so you but you did submit right after that mm-hmm. yeah uh did you was it like a stuff that you'd done from ed tv or, or completely different i think stuff? that was all new stuff yeah yeah i think that was like a little more all right this is an snl tone i'm gonna do you know mm-hmm. a little more sharp and and try and keep it you know i think you actually had to do a, a cold open sketch with a you know live from new york sort of button on it and uh i, I remember being pleased with it mm-hmm. uh that was the only time i submitted i know a lot of people have done it you know multiple times and you know especially people in new york who you know see it as like that holy grail kind of job um i did it that one time and then was like oh well i think that ship has sailed <laughs> So uh, after med, so after that, you ended up working at Funnier Die, right? Yeah, yeah. I was actually out of work for like nine or ten months uh, after Mad ended, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, like you said, I just only recently moved to LA, and there's so many jobs out here that I was like, oh fuck, if I like, is this it? You know, like I started teaching again at UCB and like coaching because you're just you know unsure of where the next uh, paycheck's coming from, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Eric Capel, a good friend of mine, was working at Funnier Die at the time. He was able to recommend me to uh, Andrew Steele, who's the head writer there, and he was great. Uh, he was just like, "Yeah, it's not TV money, but uh, you know, you can do whatever you want, and uh, yeah, it's fun." I was like, "Please, I'll <laughs> sign me up." So uh, yeah, I was there for just under a year, and it was exactly what he said. You know, you got to sort of pick your beats, and uh, I was I was and still am a big sports fan so that was kind of my justification for writing a lot of uh, sports type of uh, sketches and uh, doing a lot of videos of that and uh, you know you split your time between doing your sort of passion projects and then servicing the like branded uh, stuff that keeps the lights on there right yeah is, is there like a certain uh, demand for certain sketches like more like pop culture stuff yeah it, that was in 2009 and it was a lot more mm. I'm not quite sure how they run it today, but back in the day, it was like, what's the video that we can put, turn out 
tomorrow based on some uh, news event today and make it really like, you know, the thing that catches the, the you know, lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. sort of deal. Um, so it was a certain amount of that. And, uh, yeah, there was always, you know, celebrities coming through with either ideas you pitched them for things they could do or weird ideas they had that they wanted to do that you get assigned and sort of help out with. So you're writing a lot of uh, sports stuff. Did you find that you were, like, the only person who was, like, uh, the sports guy? Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Which was great because, you know, when every time an athlete came through, it's always you know, a chance for me to do something. Or uh, the stuff I wanted to do on my own, I ended up writing a series of videos called Game Changers, which were just, you know, uh, different sort of angles on sports stuff. The first one was uh, this one starring Ty Burrell where he plays the rant writer, the guy who writes every profane athlete rant as if okay. like, you know, it's prepared by a speech writer for them. So the crazy Mike Tyson rant of like, you know, I'll, I'll fuck you till you love me. I'll eat your children. Yeah. Like, he's like, it came, you know, it was a off Broadway play I was working on. I thought maybe it's right for Iron Mike. <laughs> uh, so, you know, getting to do stuff with him and he's a big Blazers fan. So we just talked like NBA basketball and Rashid oh. Wallace, like while shooting that video, it was like, Oh, this is the best. Yeah. Uh, so you, you did that for a year, and then you went to the Onion Sports Den, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the crew that was doing the Onion News Network were still uh, working on They had two TV shows running simultaneously, that one on Comedy Central, and mm-hmm. then an uh, Onion News Network proper TV show on IFC. Mm-hmm. So they had two rooms going in New York, and that was going to be over the summer of 2010. And yeah, it was like perfect, perfect symbiosis of you know sports, Onion stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I went back to New York for that summer for it. And so, uh, when it was just sports instead of just like, you know, like before you were doing all news, so now just sports, did you find that to be easier or more freeing or or more difficult? It was actually more difficult because, um, everything had to be adjusted to, it wasn't going to shoot for three months. So it couldn't be Mm. the most topical stuff. It had to be. Fairly evergreen, but also with, you know, that same onion satire. So it was like in doing our weekly 25 assignment, like you'd really be beating your head against the wall sometimes of just like, you know, we've done that hot, the angle that hockey is boring and that the NFL is a, you know, corrupt nation state so many times, (laughs) but like, let's try and find a new angle. So like writing the Super Bowl episode, you know, in middle of July was like, we can't do any specifics. It's got to be, you know stuff that's still going to be prevalent in February, but that, you know, has a, a nugget of truth today. So yeah, that was, that was a tough needle to thread. Mm-hmm. And, and then you also wrote on the SBs, right? Yeah. This la- uh, last year I did. Oh, that was last year. Mm-hmm. How, how was that? It was fun. Um, it was, they've got, or at least in the year I did it, it was like way more writers than they actually needed. Uh, okay. cause there's, you know, in this long show that's pretty like serious and self-congratulatory, there's not many places for straight up comedy, you know, right. there's the host's monologue. Uh, last year, the host was John Cena and he was great. He was just like, yeah, I mean, you guys know what's funny. Just, uh, I'll, I'll do whatever you think. So it was just a lot of joke writing for that. And then, you know, we'd write some sketches that like eventually just got cut, 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 cut right. down to like, you know, it's 45 seconds quick. Can you can, you know, cut three pages out of this. And, uh, it was a blast. I liked all those people, but yeah, it was not like, uh, the crowning achievement of, of uh, comedy writing, but mm-hmm. we got to see Shaq at the after party and uh, yeah. you know, Peter to urinal next urinal next to me, so that was cool. Oh wow! Yeah, that's, that's that is cool. Uh, just standing there at the uh, the John, and then somebody comes in and they see Shaq at the end. They're like, <laughs> Shaq, and I just hear him go, "What's up, big man?" <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so would you say like writing sports jokes is like 
how is that different from doing like, political jokes in terms of like a satirical bend to it? Uh, not too dissimilar, really, because mm-hmm. I mean, both are going to, you know, are public figures uh, or you know, public uh, news type of stuff. Just you know, the the specifics are changed a little bit, but you'll still have corrupt, you know, figures like I mean. The NFL and Roger Goodell are right. as you know sort of authoritarian as a lot of uh, <laughs> dictator regimes, so you can pull a lot of the same parallels. Um, I guess you have to you know consider your audience at the time. If you're going to go a real deep dive on some sports specifics, you may lose some of the audience. But you know on Sports Dome, we were doing a very specific ESPN style parody, so we did a lot of you know deep deep. Jokes were like, well, this is for a viewer who's very familiar with Sports Center and all of the bells and whistles and production bullshit that goes on at the ESPN studio. So we can do really, you know, on the nose uh, satire for that and not worry about alienating people who aren't sports fans. Right. Were, were you uh, watching like a lot of Sports Center for that or was this kind of from what you know? Oh, I mean, I've. My wife jokes that like our TV's broken because it's just always on Sports Center when she turns <laughs> yeah. it on. Like, but that's I mean I, I think I've definitely hit the Malcolm Gladwell like ten thousand hour <laughs> mark for watching <laughs> Sports Center. So yeah, I was pretty well versed in uh, and now it's just I mean I, I grew up uh, watching the you know like Keith Elberman, Dan Patrick, Craig Kilborn, uh, Rich Eisen era when Sports Center really was funny and irreverent, and now it's I mean ESPN in general is just so awful these days it's so yeah. just argument driven and it's just so much filler so it's it's in a weird place i listened to a podcast recently about it like yesterday i think which one it was uh bill simmons i was just listening to the way over oh yeah, yeah talking to jim miller about yeah. the inside workings of it yeah it seems very strange and extremely you know political mm-hmm. yeah no thanks yeah uh would you like uh, so it was like sports comedy is that like would that be like your dream thing to do like another sports comedy show uh I yes and yeah maybe I mean mm-hmm. uh, the grass is always greener whenever you're doing right. something so you you want for that opportunity and then when you're in it you're like god I would just like to do something that's not about sports um, I felt that way about when the Onion show was finishing up it's like Jesus Christ like this is making sports a job and, and not fun to watch um but then, you know, whenever you're in a job that's focused on one thing, the other option always looks more appealing. And then when you get to that one, it's the thing you were doing that looks more appealing. So I guess the moral is you'll never be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Onion Sports Den, that was like your last sketch job. Yeah. Yep. Uh, would you ever want to write sketch again? Um, Probably not. Mm-hmm. I've... Uh... It was great. I mean, that's obviously my background and, and sort of what I've come up in doing. But uh, as I've written more narrative stuff and, and longer things, you really get into like seeing a thing progress over a season or, or over a 22-page script. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it would have to be uh, a really interesting or different kind of thing. And even – I don't know. I've, I've been presented opportunities for – submissions for sketch stuff and it's uh it's so fleeting it's really fun um but it's really disposable too you know mm-hmm. which uh, is which is great if that you know it's just it, they are different things and and right now I'm, I'm a little more into you know narrative mm-hmm. uh, and then you, you were a staff writer on community mm-hmm. uh, how did that happen 
Uh, that's one of the rare jobs that didn't come about through like a personal recommendation. Mm-hmm. I just uh, was some submitted. Uh, they'd had a lot of turnover uh, from the past season, so they're bringing out an, uh, a few new writers and. Uh, my script was, I guess, good enough, or the first five pages, however much they read of it, was, was good enough that I got a meeting, and I was just a staff writer, so I didn't have to be, you know, too mind-blowingly impressive. Just like, right. oh, he seems like a normal human. Um, so that was, yeah, that was like my first uh, sitcom mm. staff job. Uh, did you have to for the spec? Was it a pilot or a spec of another show? That one was an original. Okay, it was cool. an original um, about a uh, professional football team called. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's called Blitzed, uh, which I wrote in, I guess, like yeah, two thousand nine or something. Just as a uh, this, I'm going to try and pack as many jokes, uh, Thirty Rock style, sort of mm. into a dysfunctional. Uh, <laughs> Detroit Lions esque, you know, laughing stock uh, football franchise. When you're when you're doing like a spec, uh, do you think that like, oh, I don't need to worry too much about the character stuff because I kind of just want these just to get hired, so I'll throw in a lot of jokes. Yeah, um, or or like, is this producible, or is, does this you know lend itself to a series? Mm-hmm. So you know, the best kind of spec would do all those things, right. and and you know, be something that you could sell. But in this case, I was definitely like. There's no world in which this is going to get made, so let's, let's just pack in the jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the room like at Community? Uh, it, it was, uh, I you know, heard going in, like, it's a, it's a hard room. But I was like, well, I mean, the Onion was super hard. We had, you know, but the, what they meant is, like, hard hours-wise. And, ah, okay. uh, you know, a lot of uh, sort of time wasted waiting for stuff to happen. And a lot of... Uh, but a kettle one opened up in the room, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a learning experience, especially as like a you know first sitcom job. I was like, I don't think this is how most shows <laughs> run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I only made it uh, halfway through the season because they ended up uh, downsizing. They were they brought on a couple of upper level writers, and to free up the money for it, the uh, three new writers uh, all got let go at the midpoint. Oh gosh, yeah. So it was like, oh, I guess uh, I was like in the middle of working on a story with some people and EPs brought me into their office and just let me know, like, you aren't not picking up the contract for the back nine. And I was like, they, they offered, I mean, did you want to finish out the day? <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I think I'm going to go. Wow. Well, you, you still got an episode, though, for that season. Yeah, I was lucky. I was that's, lucky. That's pretty crazy. Just yeah. because you only had the half season for that. Yeah, yeah. It worked out uh, that it was early and on. So, yeah, I got to write... Uh, 309, I guess it was. Uh, so I guess how was working with Dan Harmon? Um, the guy's a really talented writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he finally sits down to write, like he's a, you know, he's a real procrastinator. He needs to be, you know, sort of up against the, the wall to turn out, you know, to sit down and, and work. And a lot of people are, you know, like that where you really got to, you know, there's no there's no stakes until it's you know the last minute but then he would get down and and it would be pretty pretty goddamn good um not how i would run a show but it works for him you know and and you were writing you were in season three right yeah so he he ended up getting fired at the end of that season yeah it was a it was a descent for a lot for a lot of ways yeah yeah uh did he i know he's super into the story circle so was he going through that? Was that like... Oh, a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was like, you know, uh, the first, you know, 
weeks of the job was getting everyone well-versed in that terminology and thinking that way. And yeah, it's like, it's a real specific DNA to that show. I mean, it's a pretty universal idea of the story as, you know, the hero's journey, but you know, he's got his own sort of language for it. That's interesting. So do you feel like a a class almost? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, we all, there were so many new people that year. It was like, you know, uh, we all had to get up to speed on exactly what those beats feel like, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that was your first uh, sitcom job. So, did you, uh, I guess it was kind of a tumultuous room, but did you, like, uh, was it, like, an easy transition? Um, Probably could be easier. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the people there were, uh, it was it was just a weird dynamic, you know, like, uh, a lot of things that were sort of out of people's control and hours were very unpredictable. A lot of late nights spent like writing up until the table read in the morning. Mm. Um, so wow. I just got that. So you're like pulling all like an all nighter. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And you know, I, I, <laughs> it's tough to like call my wife and be like, I'll be home. Uh, I, maybe tomorrow after the, like, you know, being at seven o'clock on Tuesday and be like, well, the reads in the morning. So after that, maybe we'll go home. Gosh. Um, yeah, that was, that was weird. And you know, just the unpredictability of it was, uh, a tough adjustment. Yeah. But, uh, the writing the script was great. That was my favorite week of the job. Like for my episode, uh, Chris McKenna was one of the other EPs there and he really sort of shepherded the story breaking of that episode and pitched it to Harmon and really, you know, uh, got in a good, good place and outline that I was able to take home and, and write. So I, I was armed with a lot of, you know, the, this thing is pretty well oiled. I just had to execute it. And it was so fun writing mm-hmm. that one. And, uh, it, my draft did not have the animated anime foosball, uh, sequence at okay. the end. That was all Dan Harmon. When he said like, Ugh. This should fucking, you know, culminate in an like anime explosion. We were all kind of like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. He's like, no, I mean, that's, I want to do that. We're like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. And it's like, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to tell him, like, I just didn't think that you could do that at eight o'clock on NBC, you know? Mm-hmm. But then he got it done. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you were you writing most of the episode at home or are you doing it uh, during, in, during the office days too? That one I got to go off and do the script at home, or uh, rather the coffee bean in Los Feliz. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So when when you say that, did you have to? Did you just didn't go into the office instead of writing? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you like that better or, or worse than writing in, in like the office? Um, it's I prefer that. Mm-hmm. It's nicer to be able to like you know sort of structure your day around. I would often do sort of two days. You know, get up in the morning, do mm. some work for three hours, have lunch go for a hike or something to like clear the head and then do another session in the afternoon or evening. And, um, that is pretty great. You know, and then, you know, like, okay, I've got a week to get this done. So I've got to be judicious with my, you know, procrastinating and <laughs> bullshit. So, uh, knowing you've got a deadline is, is like, again, like I said, the best motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after community, uh, you worked on at midnight. Mm-hmm. How, how did that happen? Uh, it's, it was sort of billed as like, oh, this, you know, thing is, uh, I knew Alex Blagg. He was one of the, mm-hmm. uh, creators, um, and executive producers. And, uh, they were just like, oh, it's going to be a test show at, you know, the, uh, nerd melt. And then, oh, I might do like a little run in the fall and I wasn't working on anything. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll try a packet. And it was pretty fun. Um, uh, 
Yeah, in fact, it was it was Blag, and then Funny or Die uh, was producing it, so they sort of reached out uh, if I'd be willing to do a packet, and uh, yeah, it was you know fun writing Twitter jokes and and uh, stuff about memes, and uh, that was in 2013. Um, so yeah, like the idea of the hashtag wars was still like new and fresh, and coming up with those puns that I heard the life below the show was all like, oh yeah, I'll love a good pun. So like, yeah, let's do this for a little bit. Um, and I was there for almost two years mm-hmm. and by the end of the two years, it's like, Oh God, another pun. <laughs> uh, how did that show like, so you were there from the very beginning. So how did that show like change over time? It just got more streamlined, uh, and more, uh, sure of what each segment was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the very first time when we first got uh, picked up for like a, you know, full run, we were writing so much stuff that was just not necessary. We were, you know, sort of mm. head writer believed in a lot of sort of busy work where you have to look like you're doing a lot of things when it's like, this is not, this is never going in the show. It's never going, it's never going to be used. So we're just like looking busy. And that, that's how you lose a staff real quickly. Cause mm. it's like, people just know like, this is just bullshit. Um, and again, something I prefer not to do in, if given the chance to run a show, um, I'm all about that. Like, let's get the work done and go home early. Right. Uh, so how many jokes were you writing like a day for for the show? We'd come in the morning and have like a uh, morning writing uh, meeting where we'd go over like what was trending that night and early that day. We'd have like the researchers would put together a packet of stuff that was, you know, memes that were bubbling up to the top or like big news stories that we would, you know, figure out like, okay, this is probably, you know, a cold open type of thing, or we'll do this for the first act of the show. And eventually over time, it got pretty refined down to really only needing that first act and like the fourth act being the elements that were changing on a daily basis, the stuff that were the games in act two and three was all stuff we banked in advance. Mm. So we'd have certain days of the week where we weren't taping shows. We were just writing, okay, this is a game, you know, that we'll play on Thursday of next week and it'll, you know, we'll fill out the videos and stuff for here. So over time, I guess to answer your early question, over time it got really refined the process of putting the show together. And I think it runs even smoother now. Like they really know, boom, 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 slots filled, done, let's go home. So mm-hmm. it, it was some of the best hours in TV. A little early in the morning. Uh, we have to be in there at like 8.30 some days. Oh, wow. Um, but then like tapings would be at 4 o'clock and we'd be done by 4.30 and free to go home. So that, that was pretty great. Uh, did you have to work with like the panelists to like do stuff, to do the jokes? Yeah. So the way it works is the panelists get sort of a, a packet of here are the areas that will be talked about in the show. Here are the, the prompts that you'll be given. Mm-hmm. So they get a chance to sort of write in advance. And then they're also given the chance to work with some of the writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can bounce ideas off them or we'll do, we'll do, we also give them, you know, uh, jokes they can use. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, <laughs> the really smart guys will just be like, Oh great. This is great. This is funny. You guys know what works. Cool. I'll take it. Uh, mm-hmm. like Rob Riggle is a great example. He'd come mm-hmm. in and just be like, you know, guys so busy. We didn't have to worry yeah. about like, what's my, perfect joke for this he'd just be like oh, you guys know what you're doing cool let's do it yeah and then you know sell it like a pro yeah that's it. I, I always wondered that like how that how that worked because uh it's because it's the way they do it, it does see it almost seems like they're coming up with it in the moment right and so when i first saw the show i was like are they really coming up with these jokes in the moment yeah yeah. and then quickly i was like oh there's no way there's, there's just too many jokes <laughs> there would be you know uh, savants yeah <laughs> yeah uh 
for like for a show like that, was your method to do like a lot of jokes or like like come up with like a lot of quantity, or would you take a couple jokes and like really refine them throughout the day? Uh, mine was always let's just come up with the one killer as mm. opposed to like uh, almost throw out a bunch, you know, because that's how we'd sort of generate a lot of the jokes for the comedians. We'd be, do it, you know, together. I see. The, the writer's assistant writing things down, you know. Uh, can't think of any good specifics but like for the hashtags if it was like you know cheese movies you know you, you start coming up with all your pun base you know the gouda the bad and the ugly mm-hmm. and all those shit so it's like <laughs> you could just start coming up with your first ideas you know uh or you can like actually sit and think for a second and come up with the one that really hopefully nails it and that's what i'd prefer to do just be like all right i gave you my one good one that i know is mm-hmm. a triple to you know home run in this context I'm not going to, you know, kill myself coming up with more that are, again, just going to go into an unused pile. Mm. I'm big on efficiency in writing, I think, and knowing, like, what the situation is and what you need to do for it. And I hear about writers' rooms that just waste so much time watching bullshit videos or uh, talking. And I don't get me wrong, I love a good, you know, morning chat about the terrible episode of Westworld you all watched the (laughs) night before, which is what we did a lot on the last show I was on. Um, You need a certain amount of it, but then at a certain point, I just want to get down to work and just get it done. Mm. So did did you find uh, that doing, like focusing on the, like the killer jokes, you'd get the same amount on air as the people who were doing like quantity, just like throwing out a bunch of stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, if you put it to the, you know, sort of arbiter of the three panelists who are wanting to pick things and then it would often be overlap of like, oh, I want to do that. Like, well, somebody else already like you you could tell the the good ones, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was there was you were rewarded for putting in, you know, because oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a lot of times we would in just throwing out like just filling up a page of bad, you know, joke examples, you'd almost be embarrassed showing it to the panelist being like, some of these are good. You know, some of these are real fun and some are just, you know, we had to say stuff. We had to fill out a page right. to justify. Does it, does it say like the writer's name and then the jokes? Or? No, no okay. it's all, you know, <laughs> yeah. anonymous. Uh, that's interesting. So like the, does the head writer have any uh, input on picking the jokes or is it all just the panelist? That would just be the panelists. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if they do things differently now, but yeah, it would just be like, oh, just give them a wealth of stuff. And if, you know, a lot of, a lot of the panelists would want to write their own stuff, um, even regardless of there being a ton of things that worked and were prepared for them. Mm-hmm. They would have, you know, especially other comedians who are used to writing their own stuff would just feel that impetus to like, well, it's me. I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta do it. And that was fine. Did you find that there'd be some nights where somebody would write their own jokes and they'd be like much worse than the jokes that oh, you guys? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Because it's a, like a very specific kind of needle you're trying to thread, and you, we knew what works in this format. And a lot of times people would come on with uh, jokes specific to like their persona or like the podcast they do that most of the studio audience in America like aren't familiar with, and just you know not being aware of the room basically. Mm-hmm. Were there any uh, favorite panelists over your two years there? I was always, I mean, anytime a UCB person would come on, I would want to work with them just because, mm-hmm. like, I felt that was the best combination of people who obviously get what's funny, but then also are loose enough to just improvise and go with whatever the bit is or, whatever, you know, just fucking around on stage. Mm-hmm. Paul Shear was always the best. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, 
great instinct of what's funny and great jokes, but then like we'll just have fun. Um, yeah, he was he was always one of my faves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're working on Wrecked. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that happen? Uh, that one uh, was. It's kind of funny. I was recommended by uh, one of this producer Moses Port, who was the showrunner of the first season. He and his partner had taken over for Dan Harmon at Community on the season after okay. he was fired. And while they were there, they uh, had heard like from the other staff, like, oh, talking about Kula. And like, oh, Kula's great. And uh, <laughs> Kula wrote a script. <laughs> and they were like, well, why isn't he? We should hire him back if he was good. And so they actually brought me in for a meeting when they were uh, going into the season after they'd run one. And we're like, oh, yeah, you seem great. Like, we'd love to bring you back. And I was like, that sounds great. And then mm-hmm. they got uh, fired, and Dan Harmon was brought back. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but I guess I made a good enough impression in that one meeting I had with them mm-hmm. that when he was uh, helping uh, the Shipley brothers who created Wrecked staff up, he recommended me, and uh, I sent a, he reached out to me and asked if I was interested. And I was at it midnight at the time. But I was kind of looking to get into or get back to like narrative uh, shows. So yeah, I sent a spec I'd been uh, working on and, and got to meet those guys and had a good meeting. And and I'm so, so grateful that that job came around because it's uh, one of the funnest yeah. jobs I've ever had. Yeah. Uh, was it a, I guess it's probably wildly different than Community, the writer's room and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we use a lot of the same, we refer to the story circle a lot. Mm-hmm. Um uh, those guys, you know, they they knew of my episode and knew that it worked, so that like sort of went far in my meeting with them, and they obviously were fans of the show. So yeah, it is, community is very influential as as like a half hour sitcom goes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it um? Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, was it different working for uh, TBS than uh, NBC? Like a different doing cable over network. Yeah, a little bit. Um, they were still... It was like one of the first new shows in a new TBS regime. So it was like new development executives. Um, Kevin Riley was the new president who sort of like was ushering in a new emphasis on single cam shows. TBS had been mostly known for like, you know, multicams that all played after Big Bang reruns. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of ushering in a new, I don't know, edgy, younger sensibility. So we didn't quite know what their established deal was yet. So all you could do is just like, oh, well, here's the show I think we want to do. Um, and the network was pretty hands-on that first season just because it's a new thing, a new show. And the guys, it was, they're, uh, it, there's, it was, they wrote in a spec, uh, the wrecked script, uh, just as like a sample. Um, they were, you know, the Shipley brothers are both pretty young and they were like, we should have a writing sample. And then it got to TBS and they were like, cool, we want to make it. So it was like, oh, you know, this was just like a, we're basing it off of Lost, right? Uh, and that didn't stop them, so they're yeah, quickly showrunners. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find it uh, difficult writing for like a set location, or, or do you like that? Well, this is probably one of the best set locations you could have, because right. it really, it, as opposed to, you know, it's a roommate show set in an apartment. Like, you, you sort of know all those things. Like, this is, you're on a tropical island, anything can happen. Um, it's been that's why it's so fun. It's like it's so untra- you know non traditional as uh, half hours go. It's like we're doing stuff with pirates and wild boars mm-hmm. and digging a pit and calling it, you know like prison. Like mm-hmm. it's so fun of just creating the world. Um, it's we don't worry about too much about the 
production limitations or what the actual shooting set's going to be until that time comes around and they say, no, we can't actually blow up a jet ski or yeah. whatever. Uh, so was this similar a community in the sense that you got to like write an episode uh, like by yourself or like uh, after like you get to go out of the office? Mm-hmm. It was a little bit. It was a much smaller room. Uh, mm-hmm. First season of Wrecked was just both seasons have been like six, seven people, okay. and community was about double that. So a community you could have split up into two rooms: one working on one episode, one working on another. We're at Wrecked. If you you know a couple people out of the room, it feels really uh, bare bones. So. It was more, it didn't quite have the same amount of time to write a script uh, just because your presence is missed a lot more when it's a smaller room. Hmm. So it was, you know, more like three days plus a weekend, four days, you know, you're trying to like just hammer it out as quickly as possible um, and then get back to breaking the next stuff. Uh, We were pretty good about it this past season um, in terms of like, getting stuff on time and having enough time to give people opportunity to, you know, take a week or, or you know, a little less than mm-hmm. to get it done. Do you like uh, writing in a smaller room than a bigger room? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just you feel everything is just a little more, uh, your voice is heard more just for right. sheer, you know, numbers and all, but also you have more of a chance to shape the show and have your sensibility uh, reflected, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to, Especially, you know, a big show like Community where there were so many upper-level people. It's like, that's really in their hands, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas Wrecked, a new show, it was really sort of a meritocracy. We were all equally as invested and uh, given the opportunity to influence it. Mm-hmm. And you, you're, one of your episodes just aired like two days ago, right? Yeah. Uh, the fourth one of this second season. That's great. What's, what's it like to, uh, to like watch that after writing it? Uh, fun. I mean, it comes <laughs> with some surprises because uh, I wasn't there during shooting of it. Uh, it shot in Fiji this year. I was able to go later on in the production, but I wasn't there on set for the episode. So I saw some dailies that were coming through, but a lot of the stuff that made the final cut was like me seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's some things that you're like, oh, that was, you know, oh, that it was done on the day. It was improvised and you're... Uh, always surprised and then some things you know that were even better than you could have imagined because the performances or whatever so yeah it's it's uh, it's sort of like giving a present you know ooh it's a shiny <laughs> new episode that you're not totally privy to right uh, so you've done all different sorts of writing from sketch to late night to narrative uh, sitcoms what do you like doing the most? Uh, I think right now uh, right now I'm pretty actively doing narrative mm-hmm. uh pitching like a you know new shows that are more in terms of like serialized uh less your episode of the week sitcom stuff and more like the shows that i'm really enjoying like search party on tbs or you know glow i just devoured on netflix like stories that you know that actually are playing out over a season and have like a greater sort of arc to it like that's what i dig the most that's what wrecked really has evolved into and i hope to do you know more seasons of wrecked uh like this because it's just so fun and so rewarding to set up stuff over a long period and develop characters over time so that's what i'd like to be doing more of uh or continue doing down the road uh and do you have any any tips for young comedy writers out there I think I've already said it. Go to UCB. UCB yeah. yeah. And I, I owe my career to UCB. Uh, every opportunity that's come my way 
has in some way been touched by that. Uh, my best friends are all from UCB. My wife I met in a workshop at UCB. Um, so everything I, you know, everything I uh, hold dear is thanks to Yes And. So <laughs> I, I really do recommend it. Um, even if you aren't a performer, you learn how to write on your feet and you learn just, you know, the sensibility of what flies in, in comedy. Uh, I just think there's nothing like it. Do you feel like a performer now? Because you do improv every week with the smokes. Mm -hmm. So do you now feel like a performer where you no, didn't? I yeah, mean, I, I still wouldn't want to have to like act. I don't. I, there's something about like having to be on and bring it and know that like people are depending on you to be a, a performer is still like really daunting. But I like improvising. Mm -hmm. I like improvising with my friends, and that's all our show is. We get there at seven o'clock. We, we try and make each other break on stage. We were successful in that. We just, basically, it's fun for us, and then we're up to the bar by eight, home by nine. We've got it, like, done with science. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a, on a sketch idea I okay. have. All right. Oh, it's actually, it's a sports one, so this will, this is fun. Mm. It's not really that sports, though. It's, okay. Uh, so, you know the trip of, like, the inspirational speech from the coach? Mm-hmm. I guess this would be uh, the, a lingerie football coach. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, it'd be the specifics of that. That's all I have. <laughs> uh, you're picturing this as like a locker room speech? Yeah. Like at halftime mm -hmm. and like they're down big? Yeah. And then I think what I was thinking is that he would like the coach, I guess, would be a he and he'd be very, uh, you know, intense. And then the lingerie football people would be like, what are you like? Or, this is not what this is about. That's yeah. I mean that it's a pretty well known trope that like coaches speak. So you'd have to just figure out what is the game to the coach. I mean, yes, you could do it like this is a life or death, you know, mm -hmm. NFL uh, type of seriousness, mm -hmm. and it's you know you'd have to justify then like that he has just been hired as the coach. This is their mm. you know first game. Whatever the reason is that this guy doesn't get what the situation is. Mm -hmm. um, or figure out some other angle that makes the, like, I know clearly you're going to want to do, you know, the, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what you said, you've get, but there'll be lingerie specifics in it. Like, uh, yeah, I guess uh, oh, yeah. I mean, they do, they do, they do build lingerie. The, it's not just like, you know, women, you know, uh -huh. having fake cat fights, they, they play hard and it's supposed right. to be, you know, it's, it's legit football just <laughs> played by women in skimpy, you know, mm -hmm. panties. So you, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I guess, well, yeah, I guess now I gotta think, do lingerie football players, or do, do they take it? I guess they do take it seriously. You gotta do some research, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've never seen laundry football before. Um, for the sake of the argument, let's say yeah. yes, they do mm -hmm. take it seriously. Um, then you could get into, you know, what are the realities of playing in. Right. Like, the other teams got, you know, their garters aren't slipping down and they're just better equipped yeah. for the feet. Or it's, you know, it was a rainy uh, game and these water bras are just not equipped for the amount of yeah, yeah. water they're carrying and we're, we're, we're sluggish. Uh, I mean, you can have fun with some of the specifics, but, you know, also something to be careful of. Like, you're, a, you know, a male writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to figure out, like, what's... What's you know? What's my angle here? That's not objectionable, or you know, uh, making these women out to be. You got to like figure out your 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 stance. Yeah, I guess. 
I was thinking the joke would just be on that on the guy on the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you want to have super intense coach mm-hmm. giving a you know Newt Rockney type of speech, you could set it in any number of different type of. I mean, this could be like a you know powder puff kids. Game, yeah, that probably fits better. Yeah, you know where you have him you know dressing down a, a little four year old or mm-hmm. in, in with those. Big shoulder pads and you know the the Friday night tykes kind of uh, thing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess the, the fact that there already is a show about hard driving Texas football, about you know with youth. Fo- oh yeah. Like on, uh, the, I think it's like it's called Friday Night Tykes, and it's about you know. Oh oh really? Yeah yeah yeah, and it's they are extremely driven, and <laughs> I mean, it's Texas, man. You're from Texas. Like, yeah. You get it. It's like, you know, football is life, so <laughs> it's, yeah, it's these little kids, you know, seven, eight-year-olds, whatever, being pushed so hard. Um, so, okay, you want to take the same intensity of a football coach, apply it to a chess team, you know? Right, pick, yeah. What's the, uh, the best sort of um, uh, juxtaposition for that sort of tropey halftime speech mm-hmm. with a you know uh high school debate club you know yeah i guess yeah i guess the juxtaposition probably needs to be better yeah is he safer yeah then you can like okay you can apply the mapping of like okay what's the coach gonna, he's gonna get the blackboard and right. start diagramming plays well how do you diagram debate you know you gotta get up to the lectern like this yeah. you know approach the mic like this you know, mm-hmm. whatever your beats are gonna be mm-hmm. Um, okay. And just pick like the funniest, most ridiculous setting for that coach to be going off. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right on. Uh, all right. Anything you want to plug? Uh. Yeah. Keep watching. Wrecked. It's on mm-hmm. uh, Tuesdays on TBS. How many? How many more episodes are left? Six. Uh, this, okay. There's the fourth cool. one just aired. So yeah, it'll be uh, running through the summer. Uh, I wrote two oh seven as well. So cool. Yeah. It's great. I love the job. All keep, right. Uh, keep keep watching so we can keep having that job. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for coming out. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. <laughs> Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.